Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. That on third reading, HB 2571, clerk will read the bill. HB 2571 by Johnson relating to information on projected changes in weather, water availability, and climate variability in strategic plans of state agencies. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. So you've been listening to a snippet of uh, back in time, 2015, Austin State Legislature, where they were talking about something called HB 2571. 2571, most of you probably never heard of it. Uh, It sort of got buried after that legislative session, but boy, has it reared its head again in light of what we went through last week all across Texas. By now, hopefully, you have power back, but... uh, who knows how things might have been, Jason, if uh, HB 2571 had passed. Yeah, so in this podcast, we're going to kind of give you a, a, a little legislative lesson here, kind of how the sausage is made down in Austin. But it's important because, you know, after what we all went through last week statewide with four million of, uh, of us losing power and the almost total collapse of the Texas electric grid, People are saying, well, why didn't we know about this earlier? Well, we knew about it earlier, and our guest on this program today is going to talk about his plan from 2015 in the Texas legislature that, if it passed, might have at least set up a framework for planning around this. So just as you hear some of these terminology here in this podcast, HB is House Bill, and if you hear SB, it's Senate Bill, but House Bill 2571 was introduced in uh, 2015, and we're going to let the the author uh, talk about it here in just a moment. He's on the line with us here. And it's a name you know. Jason, this, this is a name well-known in Dallas, former state representative. He's not in the legislature anymore. Instead, he's now at Dallas City Hall. It's Mayor Eric Johnson. Well, let me, let me close my door so my kids don't come running in here and interrupt us. That'll be door. a viral moment. The closed door usually slows them down, but it won't stop them. <laughs> Understand but, that. It buys us a couple of seconds. Let's let's go back in time here. What uh, six years now to 2015 to this legislative session before you uh, got the main office at City Hall when you were down in Austin uh, on behalf of Dallas. You had a number of bills that session. Tell me what this one would have done if it passed. In a nutshell, it would have required several state agencies that are most potentially impacted by changes in the environment, specifically uh, changes in temperature, changes in climate, changes in water availability, the kinds of extreme weather events like we just had. It would have required those agencies to specifically receive the state climatologist report every biennium and to make a five-year strategic plan that takes into account the information related to extreme weather and temperature and water availability, et cetera, in their and in their biennial strategic plan. So it would require these agencies, including the Public Utility Commission, to essentially plan more for weather, right? Exactly. Um, the, the thing about the bill that's so extraordinary is my thinking at the time was you need to put into place 
a structure, a, a process for these agencies to take into account science, the facts, because then I think the science and the facts would, would lead policymakers and decision makers to make good decisions uh, based on the science. I actually had faith and still do that Texas and our, you know, our, our leaders, if they had the information in front of them, staring them in the face, would find it hard to make the wrong decisions. And so I just wanted the information to be forced into their hands every two years and for the agencies to have to look at it and then turn around and say, in the face of evidence that the climate is becoming more unpredictable and that our winters are becoming more extreme and that events like what just happened right. are becoming more frequent, there are things we need to do to be able to perform our essential functions. And the PUC would have been an agency that would have had to undergo that analysis every two years and plan it out looking forward decades and of course, the PUC uh, oversees ERCOT, which is the grid operator for electricity here in Texas that everybody knows about now because of the catastrophe that occurred last week. Mayor, this uh, this bill that, that you put forward, it made it out of committee, bipartisan vote. Things were looking good, got to the third reading on the floor. What happened? Well, you skipped a couple of steps that are actually a little bit inside baseball for the legislature, but it's important. Um, for the bill to even be brought up for a vote in committee means that it's ready to go because chairmen typically don't bring up bills in committee for a negative vote. You'll see very few bills brought up in committee just to have them voted down. The response of the chairman in the case of a bill that the committee didn't support would be, don't bring the bill up for a vote at all. So the fact that it got a vote was a major step. The fact that it got a unanimous vote um, was a, a really big step. It was a six to nothing vote. Democrats and Republicans supported it. That sent it to the calendars committee, which is the graveyard, frankly, for a, a bunch of legislation, good and bad, every year. It's just a matter of, is your bill a high enough priority to actually make it onto the voting um, agenda for the House, the, for the full House? This bill actually made it out of calendars, which is extraordinary, a, a major accomplishment. It got to the floor. On second reading, which is the second time a bill has to be read, a mandatory three times a bill has to be read to pass, it passed on second reading. So at this point, you're talking about close to a you know zero to five percent chance of a bill failing at the stage of third reading, and this bill failed on third reading through a you know pretty extraordinary set of circumstances that um, there's video to, that people um, have been sharing on social media. Uh, about how that happened, but it, it was basically a party line vote um, at the 11th hour to kill that bill. And it's uh, it's still one of the, the, the low moments of my legislative career that watching that bill go down on third reading like that. All right. So we have a clip. The clip still exists of what happened in 2015 on the floor in these moments here when all of it just kind of crumbled. The whole bill just kind of fell apart as the voting on it was actually beginning. Take a listen here. Chair recognizes Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This um, bill takes a climatology report from the state climatologists and gives it to certain state agencies so that they can use it in their two-year strategic planning. Question occurs on final passage, HB 2571, members of record vote. Chair recognizes Mr. S Chair recognizes Mr. Simmons to speak against. So, so right, right there, right when they're about to start the vote, you hear that ding? That ding is when the actual voting began. So the voting 
was already underway at this point when a former Republican member, Ron Simmons, who's a state representative from North Texas, he gets up there and wants to uh, wants to talk. All due respect to Representative Johnson, I apologize for this. The caucus uh, made a mistake on their sheet. The policy committee voted to oppose this bill. Vote as you as you would like, but we did vote to oppose this bill. Thank you. And when he says the caucus, he's talking about, that's Ron Simmons saying the caucus. He says he's meaning the Republican caucus, so all the Republican members. Members, the question occurs on final passage, JCB 2571. This is a record vote. Clerk will please ring the bell. Keep your hands up. voting aye. Mr. Simmons voting no. <laughs> Mr. Johnson And we're about to get the aye. final tally here, and uh, it didn't go well for Representative Johnson on this one. Have all voted. There being 47 ayes, 84 nays, HB 2571 fails to pass. And that's it. But, but it looks so good. Why did it die? Why, in your estimation, did this die when it, all indications were that it was going to live, it was going to pass? No, to be perfectly frank, I'd be speculating. I'd, I'd say the first place to look would probably be the people who uh, testified against it in committee, which weren't that many. Um, that's a natural place to look. So you had a few industry folks there. I think Chevron was one of the companies that testified a, a, against it at committee. That's a natural place to look. But the, the person you'd have to probably talk to would be the one person who spoke against the bill. Uh, then Representative Ron Simmons uh, actually uh, ran to the uh, if, if you if you watch the footage of the of the proceeding, it's pretty extraordinary. They actually start ringing the bell. The voting's happening and they stop the be- ringing the bell because Ron Simmons runs to the front mic to say, hold on, hold on, basically Republicans. He essentially says, Republicans, we've got to stop this. And then it turned into a instant party line vote that there was never really any explanation for. So I think you'd have to ask Representative Simmons what he was thinking about when he killed that bill on party lines. Well, let me ask about that, too. If this passed in 2015 when you were in the legislature, what would have been different last week, though? I mean, just planning for weather is one thing, but it didn't seem to mandate that these power plants that failed would have, uh, you know, been winterized. And that, and it remains to be seen what the legislature is going to do, if anything, about that. Because now you're talking about reaching to private inter- enterprise. Um, these power generators are private corporations. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how they go about, you know, requiring and mandating that because that's a deregulated industry is a deregulated industry. They they kind of do what they want. They decide when they want to put power on the grid, but they decide when they don't want to. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what they do about that. But what my bill would have done, and we have no way of knowing what the agencies, you know, what there were, their strategy would have been, it would have required them to have one. <laughs> it would have required them to look at this information and figure out how they want to go about making sure that in the case of the PUC, that ERCOT is prepared for the inevitability of more extreme weather. It specifically calls out changes in temperature and changes in climate in the legislation. It would have been something they would have had to address. 
Yeah, to put a fine point on that, Mayor, the defense here from some of these agencies has been this was unprecedented. We've never had a weather event like this, you know, basically saying how could we have possibly prepared for something like this when we've never seen this before? Well, your argument here is, well, the first step in that preparation might be to have a plan in place and think about this before it actually happens. Absolutely. Let me tell you something else that I remember this talking to you guys just jogged my memory. Before I filed the bill, I actually had dinner with in Dallas, invited him to Dallas, the state climatologist, a brilliant man with an MIT degree in climatology. He's an MIT trained climatologist who is employed by Texas A&M University. And I was blown away. I was very impressed with this man's knowledge. And I said, we need to make the very obvious connection between the state climatologist and the data that he's collecting on our changing climate and on extreme weather and on water availability, et cetera, precipitation, et cetera, et cetera, and our agencies that would be impacted by these changes. And so he loved the legislation. He said, this is, yeah, I would, I would love to be compelled to provide them this information and for them to have to use it. But right now that doesn't exist. And I said, well, I'm going to pass a bill that makes that the case. Well, why have the climatologist if you're not going to use their if you're not going to use their 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 insight? Why have the climatologist? I got to put words in his mouth, but that was certainly my thought. I'm not sure why we have an MIT educated climatologist on staff at Texas A&M University if we are going to not actually forget, not listen to him, not even ask him, (laughs) not even ask him what he thinks is happening. I, I just it didn't make any sense to me and it didn't make sense to anybody at the committee level. And it didn't make any sense to anybody in the calendars committee. And it didn't make any sense to anybody on second reading. It just somehow it started to make sense on third reading, which I, I still don't fully understand. And for and for our listeners to know, third reading also, once it passes third reading, it's done with the House. Then it goes to the Senate. And if it passes the Senate, then it goes to the governor for uh, for you know being signed into law. So third reading is, is the is the finish line for that bill. And typically a formality. Typically third reading, I mean, it's a heightened requirement for um, even for you to amend the legislation. If you want to even change it, you need two thirds, I think, of, of the House to agree to even make a change on third reading, because it's pretty much considered a fait accompli after second reading. Second reading is when you have all the debate. So the fact that it, it was laid out and survived the debate and passed on second reading, and then on third reading kind of out of nowhere, after the bell had started ringing to commence the vote, was just very awkward, very weird. I, I want to take I want to take you in reverse just a little bit from that mayor there in 2015. There you are. You're a representative. You've got a million things going on. The legislature only meets every two years. There's people in your ear. There's all kinds of issues to tackle. What made you hone in on this one uh, again? Because I go back to these agencies basically saying, oh, we had no way to you know n- know that this would, would happen. This is unprecedented. There is some precedence, though. We have been through some really bad winter events where we've seen some things like this happen on a much smaller scale, but there were at least some red flags over the years. What was it that made you propose this in the first place when you could have chosen a million issues? We were starting to have wildfires um, and we were, you know, we had hurricanes um, and we had all kinds of things that were just starting to, it was not, it wasn't making sense to me that we were spending so much money in recovery and, you know, and, and dealing with the aftermath of things that we could actually spend money on the front end through planning to prepare for. And so 
again, people were saying, well, did the bill call for winterization? It's like, well, no, it, it didn't call for any of a whole laundry list of things that we could do. It called for the agencies that are responsible for this to come up with the plans that may have included winterization, which would be kind of an obvious thing actually to call for once you have data showing you that we're gonna have more extreme winters. Mayor, considering that the state has gone through massive power outages in 2011, and now in 2021, here 10 years later, is it time for Texas to look at at uh, rejoining the national grid, or at least really doubling up on the connections we have to the national grid? So in case something happens like this, that we can plug in more power somewhere else and get some help. The answer to that question is, I am not an energy expert, so I don't know if the answer is to rejoin the grid or join the grid. I don't know that the answer is to reform ERCOT and improve our independent grid. Here's what I do know. I know that everything should be on the table given what just happened. Every single option needs to be explored. And I'm very, I'm very suspicious of anyone who before we've asked a single question or had a single hearing or done a single investigation who will tell you they already know that certain options should not be on the table. If people are telling you before we've asked a single question or had a single data point provided to us by anyone who's in the know about what actually happened here, you know, we still don't know what actually happened. We haven't gotten a full readout from ERCOT. We haven't gotten a full readout from Encore. We don't know what actually happened here. We're still trying to figure that out. So anyone who's telling you with certainty that they know we absolutely should not join the national grid, that's politics. That's that's being political, in my opinion, and taking a position before we've actually figured out what happened. Well, Mayor, we know that when there are a lot of angry voters, that does tend to inspire some political courage, or at least what looks like political courage. Uh, We have seen this week that the state has come out and said, hey, electric providers, you have to be able to set up payment plans, even if you have rules against payment plans. Also, you can't disconnect anybody right now because of non-payment. And the state is even encouraging electric companies just not to bill people right now until this you know, kind of gets sorted out between the legislature, the governor, the PUC, et cetera. How confident are you that the state feels the pressure this time and is going to come up with some fixes here in the short term for consumers and longer term for the infrastructure? I spoke to the governor on the phone on Friday and he asked me what I thought the biggest issues were uh, facing the state right now going forward in the aftermath of this. And one of the things I told him, you know, top of the list is I'm worried about the price gouging. I'm worried about the the, the spiking energy bills. And he seems to be um, sensitive to that as well. Everything I'm seeing and hearing from him and a bunch of our state leaders is that they seem to be sensitive to that. And they are concerned about, you know, making sure that we don't add insult to injury. Um, people who've already been in the dark, people who've already suffered, um, people who had their power in and out, um, now having to suffer the, the you know the the further ignominy of a high a sky high electric bill, I think they they get it. What I wish though, and I, I'm I just have to be hopeful, I have to be hopeful that we can get there, is these approaches, these responses can't always be a reaction to disaster. These should be part of the conversation and the policy discussions on a prospective basis when we're down in Austin every other year passing legislation. People should be talking about the worst case scenario 
and what could happen in a in a in a power outage situation like this and put limits prospectively on how much somebody's energy bill could spike in a situation like this we shouldn't be having to scramble after the fact to figure out if we can you know put the lid on $9,000 a kilowatt hour electricity. It it should never have been allowed in the first place. You should just, we should, the law should just not allow for it. Um, And and so I'm just hoping that what this will do is not turn to just another crisis that we are responding to, but will be the beginning of a planning process and thinking through what can happen if our grid fails and how to prevent it from failing, but also having fail safes and redundancies built in and thinking ahead of time about the, the implications for the market in terms of these prices. That's what, I, that's what I'm hoping will happen. Take me back to your state legislature days. How much does it matter? Because we're going to include in the, in the description of this podcast the way for you to find who represents you. How much did it matter to you back then when the phones rang off the hook or the emails came in like crazy? It mattered a lot. I think that's true for every legislator. Um, I, I really think that the most impactful advocacy actually is that the phone. Um, hmm. Emails are a little bit um, interesting in that they're, um, they're they're kind of a passive form of communication. You have to, you know, if, if you choose not to click on it, it, it's like it didn't exist. And if you do click on it, and you open it, and it appears that it's part of a you know some sort of form email petition drive. It, it, it I think psychologically it has less of an impact than just to go back to my legislative days. I can still remember it than having um, whoever the, the the poor person is who's having to sit at the phone all day long at your capital office uh, with the old fashioned notepad writing out every single message and every single person who's furious at you for not doing something. Um, when, when the house page brings you that stack at the, uh, on the house floor and dumps it on your desk and you're like, oh man, wow, that's a, <laughs> whoa. Uh, hmm. It's psychologically, I think, has a greater impact on your legislator to have those pieces of paper that represent a constituent, especially a constituent, um, telling you that they want you to do something. So I say pick up the phone and call. It's a great nugget. So call uh, before you email there uh, and, and make your position known. Because even with emojis, Mayor, uh, these days, it's hard to detect tone when you're reading. Yep. But it comes across real clear on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor, of course, the other crisis we are responding to is the pandemic. I'm curious whether you think the, uh, the brutal winter weather that we went through is going to help or hurt the pandemic. Because on the one hand, Stores, restaurants, bars were all closed last week. But on the other hand, uh, you know, family and friends were a, a lot of times, in a lot of cases, huddled together in a single house. Uh, what do you think we're going to see in a couple of weeks? You know, that's the other hat I wear. I'm the emergency management director for the city of Dallas dealing with vaccine distribution. And so we obviously were set back um, in our vaccine distribution efforts by the weather. So that is a, a, you know, a negative that we weren't able to vaccinate more more people last week. Um, then you have, you know, working in your favor that you had less interaction. You had less, you had people, you know, you know, in theory, um, going out less and hunkering down more with the people that they are around every day. And so maybe that helped halt the spread somewhat. So on net, I don't know um, where we're gonna where, where we're gonna end up on that. But um, I'll just say this. And I actually, it's amazing, no matter what you do in this line of work, you're gonna have some people who are unhappy. Um, We tweeted out a few days ago, 
that, you know, our attention has not been diverted away from vaccination. Um, we had to halt it temporarily because of the weather, but we are right back on that. And of course, you know, you had some people say, you know, I'm still in the dark, you know, I still don't have power. And we, we are totally, totally sensitive to that. We are trying to, you know, make sure that there's not a single person left without power. And we're trying to address the damage that's been done to people's property and the loss of water and all these things. But we can't like pretend that the, that the pandemic is taking a break because we are dealing with this. We, we're still having to do that too. So um, we, in, I'll just put it this way. In city government, you have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. All right, Mary Eric Johnson, former state rep. Thanks for the, uh, the history lesson and the insight on all this, man. Good to see you as always. It's a painful history, but thank you. The mayor was passionate there, Jason. He, he's always passionate, but he was really riled up about this bill. And, you know, rightly so. He was one of the, the four plus million Texans who lost electricity. Here's what I didn't know. And I've been reporting on politics for a long time. I majored in political science. Um, but one thing that, that he said when he was a state legislator, he still, you know, gets a lot of these uh, calls now. But he says the best way to make your voice heard is not what I thought. I thought yeah. it would be an email because that's easy. You could do a... Uh, you know, a form email and and turn it around. They can just go through and hit click. You know, click to have been read on these emails. But when you start mm-hmm. clogging up the phone lines, that's when you really make a difference. I didn't know that that was the way that you get through them too. And and, and maybe you know, if we asked five different people, we get five different answers on that. But he does make a good point though as to why phone calls matter more to your legislators than the emails do. And again, down in the description of this podcast, we have a website that will help you to figure out who represents you from national all the way down to state, Senate, House, etc. And so you can contact the people who are supposed to be representing you if you've got something to say, especially about this particular issue. Uh, You know, the mayor says that this was his low point uh, as a legislator. Uh, He was in there for 10 years and he had one bill that failed on third reading and this one was the one it's that unusual that something like this happens and it does beg the question as to why that happened with this particular topic and does the state move on from that low point this time and actually get something done right now it looks like they've got the critical mass to do it and it looks like they've definitely got the mandate uh but the question is you know are our memories long enough uh over these next several months as other things pop up yeah and and (laughs) the way 2020 and 2021 are going man other things are going to pop up unfortunately uh but but also down in the description of this podcast don't forget do us a favor um respond to the survey in here we're we're just uh we're curious who you are why you listen to us where you're located just tell us something about yourself here uh we'd appreciate if you could take that little little survey you don't have to give us your name or your phone number mother's maiden name any of that stuff (laughs) unless you want to um but yeah fill out that little survey when you can in the meantime we're going to really keep an eye on what happens in austin this week uh later in the week is when you're going to have the texas senate and the Texas mm-hmm. House of Representatives, both of them convening committees to get together to start drilling down, looking for those data points, as the mayor said, trying to find out exactly what happened so they can use raw data and hopefully come up with a solution that will uh, solve this next time. And uh, thanks to all for listening today. Hopefully we never have to go through something like that again, because uh, clearly we were not ready for that here in Texas. If we do go through it again, hopefully we'll be prepared the next time. Thanks as always, and we'll do it all again next Tuesday, unless events interrupt and we have to do another one in between. 